Well, let's begin with a word of prayer first. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for this time we have to look at Your Lord's Prayer that You give to us, and what it teaches us about the Christian life, and how something so normal and regular part of our daily and weekly habit can be something so powerful and meaningful in our lives um, that really changes how we live before You and how we live before others. So we pray, Lord, as we think about what it means, what forgiveness actually means and what it means to be delivered from evil and temptation, that You would encourage us and strengthen us with what we need in our daily lives, what we need to go on another day living in faith before You. In Your Son's name we ask. Amen. Um, so this, is, this week we are going through the two different sections. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, we're going to spend a majority of our time in the first section, just because of it being the longest petition in the Lord's Prayer, and also probably one of the ones that we, owe, we don't always think about as deeply as we should. Um, First, we're going to look at, we're going to break down what forgiveness actually is and understand what that actually means before we look at it in the prayer. Then we'll look at the prayer and then we'll go into the next petition. Uh, so first, what is forgiveness? I've kind of made some bullet points, some sub-bullet points on this side. Forgiveness is first always necessary. We could say because we are sinners in need of grace. It's always necessary. Forgiveness is not... It's not the same thing as forgetting. It's not the same thing as reconciliation. It's actually remembering differently. It's remembering the offense differently. So that'll be the second thing. And and thirdly, forgiveness is rejecting vengeance. And it's a continual act of faith in God. So, oftentimes, forgiveness is confused for reconciliation. It's, for, for, uh, it's confused with forgetting. But it's not those things. You know, everyone has been hurt by someone in their lives. Like, that's just a fact of life. And oftentimes, those people have failed to ask for forgiveness. And when friends or loved ones, those who are closest to us, do something to betray our trust and confidence, you know, our, that can be the most painful thing. When those who are closest to us, who we feel vulnerable with, betray us. And our hearts really can feel like breaking in those moments. And when they fail to repent of their offense... That's just like that insult is added to the injury. And unfortunately, Christians don't always follow the path that Christ demands of them. We are often, all of us, very sinful, acting selfishly and seeking our own success in life. We think to ourselves when we're thinking about someone who offends us, you know, I can't forgive them if they don't apologize. Or forgive... Don't, you, don't they know what they did to me? I mean, we often have all these things rushing through our head. Or how can I forget what they did? 
And you know, these are legitimate questions that we all really struggle with. Um, what should we do in those situations? Do we have to forgive another person if they don't repent? Yes. Forgiveness is always, always necessary because we are sinners in need of grace. Many places in Scripture point out that we are called to forgive even as God has forgiven us in Christ. We are to forgive our brother or sister's offense 70 times 7. And we are often called to speak to our Christian brothers and sisters to reconcile offenses, even taking it to the church when they don't, as we see in Matthew 18. And when a Christian fails to repent, Jesus goes on to say that their, the authenticity of their faith is in question. Um, this is how serious forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation are to God. Um, that God makes this a church matter when people fail to repent. Um, but why is it necessary to forgive someone who fails to repent? Well, recognizing our own sinfulness and pride is key. We are called to look at the plank of sin in our own eyes before we can call out the speck that exists in the person who offends us. Uh, we have all fallen short of God's standard and need mercy just like everyone else. Also, we, we, cannot, we cannot demand that God forgives us while failing to forgive others. When dealing with this very issue, Jesus describes this parable of a wicked servant. If you remember the parable of the wicked servant in Matthew 18, right after he's talking about this whole reconciliation, forgiveness, bringing to the church business and dis- discipline, he describes a, a servant who has this massive debt before his master and king, and he cannot pay it. And so the master comes and is about to bring him to prison to pay the, pay off the debt in prison, and he just f- throws himself at the mercy of the court. And the master, in full of compassion and forgiveness, says, okay, your debts are completely forgiven. So that man goes out, and upon that very thing, he instantly goes and finds someone who owes him even, even lesser, smaller debt. That's That wicked servant finds someone, and he can't pay that small debt because he's in an even worse situation. And so he, upon hearing that, he takes that other fellow servant and he throws him into prison. The master hears of what just happened right after he forgives that man of this massive debt. And he takes that servant and he throws him into outer darkness where there's, outer, there's gnashing of teeth uh, because he did not act in similar forgiveness. He was unmerciful. So forgiveness must be freely offered because we have been freely forgiven by God. The the grace and mercy that we have received should cause us to have mercy on those around us. You know, when we learn to meditate on the gospel regularly, we see how much God forgives us even before we ask, um, our very repentance needs repenting of. Our tears and acts of repentance are so contaminated by false motives and pride oftentimes, 
where we're just actually sad that we got caught in our sin, or we're sad that, you know, in some sense it brings about bad consequences. And yet God forgives us even in those cases when we fail to recognize how sinful we are. If you think back to the psalmist, he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? And he's asking this rhetorical question. The answer is no one. If, if God were actually looking at every single thing, our inborn sins, as well as our actual ones, the ones that are just a part of the condition of the sinful and cursed world, as well as the things that we actually do, no one would stand before God. And yet, well, what do we see? The Lord is overflowing with forgiveness and compassion for us. He sent his son to die for us, as Romans says, while we were enemies. Not when we repented, not when we like looked at God and said, wow, you're so good. Um, while we could not offer repentance, his goodness, compassion, actually was the thing that overcame our evil, unmerciful hearts. The thing that actually caused us to turn in, in repentance and, and faith. So God it did this so much for us. Because we are sinners in need of grace, we have to offer that same forgiveness to God. So secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, it's actually remembering the offense differently. So forgiveness first is necessary because we're sinners in need of grace. And now secondly, Forgiveness is remembering the offense differently. It's not forgetting. If you've been sinned against, you know that, that no matter what kind of sin, small or large, sin always leaves its mark on us. Maybe some of us have been literally physically maimed by a sin committed against us. How can we forgive in such cases? Well, as we just keep saying, that forgiveness is often confused with, with forgetting the offense. But forgetting a sin committed against us is not always possible. Sometimes it is. God gives us that capacity and that extra grace to forget something. Um, but it's not always possible. However, resentment and bitterness and holding a grudge is never okay because it destroys us and imprisons us to our pride, which seeks to exact vengeance on that person just like that unmerciful servant did, the wicked servant we just talked about. Besides being an offense to God, holding bitterness in our hearts imprisons us because what we're trying to do is to control life in that life situation. We're trying to, to, in some sense, control that other person and God to get what we want. Um, and we cannot move on, therefore, when we hold a grudge. Because what we do end up doing is putting ourselves in the judge seat, in the seat of the judgment, as this omnipotent judge who, who needs to exact a blood sacrifice again and again and again and again 
to be appeased. And, you know, we need to make sure, after all, they know how much they hurt us. Um, that's what we all go through in our minds thinking these things. We're just like, they need to know how much they hurt us. They need to know how much they hurt us. And it's so easy to get into that way of thinking. I do that all the time. Um, but holding on to strife in that way leads to actually self-destructive lifestyle. Forgiveness, on the other hand, frees us. Um, forgiveness is an ongoing act of love. It's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing act of love that requires a lot of work. Um, if you have someone in your mind, in your heart, you know that it is a daily battle that requires, it could take years to actually put that sin down, put that offense down in our hearts. But that's what God is requiring of us. That's what God calls us to do because to be like Christ, we are to forgive by remembering the offense differently. This kind of forgiveness doesn't mean that we're condoning the action. We never have to condone it. Nor does it mean that we have to forget what happened. Uh, one author, Lewis Smedes, put it this way, that forgiving does not erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not necessarily a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. So forgiveness, in that sense, means that we are no longer counting ourselves like that as a judge, higher than others. It means seeing our self-worth, our respect, our identity as now belonging to Christ because of how much He's forgiven us. That His glory and His grace are now ours. Our identity is no longer then caught up in our rights. Our identity is no longer caught up in our pride of what has happened to us, what people have failed to do for us. But those things can be set aside because of Christ. Because of the surpassing worth of Christ who's given us all things. We can, like Paul, Paul, he says, we can count everything else as loss. Um, our driving passion is now Christ's success in this world and His glory instead of the desire to exact vengeance for our petty own kingdoms, for our petty glory. Um, so when we, when we know how sinful we are and how much we need compassion... You know, it's always necessary because we're sinners. That compassion now allows us to see everyone differently around us. We can begin to look at everyone differently. We don't have to see their success that happened at our expense because of their sin. Their success is no longer in competition with us. Um, we don't have to think of them in bitterness. Remembering the offense differently means we actually start to feel sorrow for the things that happened in their lives that caused them to have such pain to act in that way. Um, we can empathize with their weakness and realize, wow, you know, if I had that same experience, I probably would have done the same thing. 
um, I am just as awful a person as that person. And if I was in those conditions, I probably would have done the same thing, maybe even worse. And love, when love come and permeates our hearts and we see Christ's love for us and how he hoped all things and, and loved us into forgiveness and loved us into reconciliation and loved us into friendship with him, we can now hope all things for that other person, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We can hope all things, even if we don't see it. And their success becomes our success. So only when we begin to see the other person with compassion can we decide to move on and no longer be trapped by our own fears and desire and our pride and that desire for vengeance, or the fear of what others might think. We can set aside our vanity and pride, and that act of forgiveness, that continual thing we do every day, means that we're no longer identified. This is the freeing thing. We're no longer identified with the sin that they commit against us. Isn't that a glorious thing? When we forgive that person, look on them with compassion, what they did to us no longer is our identity. How we may have reacted is no longer our identity. Because we can let go of the resentment those actions bring. Um, We can forgive the rebellious teenage son. We can forgive the abusive spouse. We can forgive the parent who wasn't there. Because we're freed from the fear that blinds us. When when that fear blinds us, it's a prison house of resentment. But Christ has opened that door, and he says, the good life that you think that sin that someone did against you is denying you, Jesus says, I'm giving it to you, even, even that sin happened. Because that's what happens. When we think about ourselves, we think that that offense is denying us the good life that we want. Which is why... We want to have vengeance, isn't it? Because we want to get back what we got, that we lost. Um, the life that every sin seems to deny us, the sins that we commit and that are committed to us, that life, Jesus says, I'm giving to you, and even more. And we've been freely forgiven, unconditionally loved, and set aside for him. Does that make sense? Is that so? So forgiveness is not remembering the offense differently. Or forgiveness is not forgetting. It's remembering the offense differently. Um, and we have to say that it is, it's not reconciliation. It's not offered when the other person repents. It's unconditionally given, even if the person doesn't respond in, in the same way or in, in that kind of real repentance. And that's why it also has to be a continual act of faith, the third thing. And it's rejecting vengeance. So forgiveness is an act of faith allowing God to have the last word. It's an ongoing thing because it means that we have now become peacemakers because God has made peace with us. 
And we know that God has the last word. Um, Paul says we have to live peaceably with all men as we're able to. And the fruit of having the Holy Spirit is that we sow seeds of peace with the wisdom from God. We're called elsewhere to be sacrifices of praise. Our, our very lives are a sacrifice whose pride and sin are put aside now for the good of others. What Paul is saying, he's saying that our very bodies are to be laid down for others. And who does he say? Even for our enemies. Even those for who those offend us. An enemy is someone who's obviously not going to come and repent. Um, and we have to constantly learn that hard lesson of letting God be God. We have to set vengeance at his feet. Maybe every day we have to do that. Knowing that he actually alone is holy enough to exact judgment. Um, but I, we have to say as a caveat that part of this means, part of actually trusting God means never remaining in an abusive situation. I think that's like a huge thing that we don't get. Because we, conf- we, we, conf- we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation we automatically think we have to stay in an abusive relationship and just constantly, unconditionally forgive and live in that. But God has actually created, Paul says in Romans 13, the civil authorities for that very reason. Um, Because we're actually trusting in God's provision to bring some kind of justice in our lives when, when people don't act in the way they should. And so God has established them for our protection so if in your any, in any situation right now it's abusive, we have to say you're fully trusting in God by going to the local authorities and reporting those things, those evil things that happen, and getting out of that context as soon as possible. Um, so reach out to help for, for those who you trust and get out of that context. That is trusting God to actually bring justice and peace in society through the government that he's established. Forgiveness does not mean living in a state of abuse ever, period. And I think one of the ways that we can see an abusive person is that they will use forgiveness as a tool to beat people into submission without ever taking responsibility for their actions. If you see that, you know that this person is a controlling person who's not doesn't understand biblical forgiveness or reconciliation. Uh, for, and, they, and trusting in God means separating from them. Um, Jesus said, you're to be as innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents. So innocence means forgiving that person, but wise means separating from them. Because God will bring judgment on those who don't repent. And so we don't have to no longer have to worry about it, because God will repay in His time in His way, and we're constantly being reassured that because He's on the throne, that He's going to work all things for our good. So we can have faith and leave it in His hands, knowing that His mercy and His grace were given to us when we never deserved it. And and who knows? Paul says, maybe God will use our compassion to bring them to faith and repentance. And so we must be willing and ready and eager to forgive everyone and repay their evil with compassion. 
Which is why Paul says, bless those, in Romans 12, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another as much as you can. And do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so in conclusion to this, what is forgiveness? We offer forgiveness to everyone. It's not the same as reconciliation. It's not forgetting the offense or condoning the action, but it's remembering the offender with compassion, repaying evil with good because of the gospel. Forgiveness is letting God be God, placing vengeance in his hands, Because God alone has the last word. Why? Because we know that he will be both just and merciful. And and everything, because of what we see on the cross, we know that everything will work out better than we could ever plan. It will work out better than we could ever plan. We can know that. And so... You know, saying all this, this isn't to say that forgiveness is easy. It's so hard. It's terribly hard. It makes us feel so vulnerable. I mean, just to let go and just offer that freely, doesn't it? It makes us feel like vulnerable. And enemies have a way of crucifying us. You know, like they're good at that. Um, So forgiveness is no safe thing. And that's why they crucified our Lord. But forgiveness is really this voluntary thing that we're doing that's very vulnerable and doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like, as we said before, like we're in control. But that's actually exactly why it's the reality. We aren't in control, and, and forgiveness is the way that we actually let go. And let God be God. And what does Jesus say? Like he says, in reality, only when we give ourselves away in forgiveness to others that we actually find ourselves again. Isn't that crazy? It says, like Jesus said, that we have to lay down our lives, lose ourselves, become vulnerable in order to find it again. And forgiveness is the only way that we can do that, and it's not dependent on how people respond. Um, any questions or, or thoughts before we, we move on to the next section? So we just talked about what is forgiveness, just kind of really laying that down before we even got into the prayer um, and why we pray this way. Just Because I think that laying that foundation is so essential and helpful. Okay, so forgive us our trespasses. So why do we pray this way? 
I think we can agree, now that we've talked about what forgiveness is, that forgiveness is an outrageous human act. In our society, where might makes right, where it's a society of myriad of victims, everyone is just licking his or her wounds, forgiveness really seems crazy. I, I don't, like, Christianity does not make sense. This kind of forgiveness does not make sense. And so we're constantly trying to change what it means. Um, and so this is a very difficult prayer to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But as usual, it first asks God to do something for us. Um, it promises that we will then do something for others. But before there's any talk about forgiving anyone else, we have to be made to, to realize of what we're forgiven ourselves. Uh, before we can consider the wrongs that we've suffered, we have to ponder the great suffering that God has gone through because of us. That we have to be forgiven our debts. And I think debts is probably... Trespasses is a good word, but debts is also a really helpful way of thinking about it because it has like this monetary value where um, debts is specifying something specific. That where our books are in the red as far as our relationship to God is concerned. That it's a, an accounting kind of term. Very much like the gospel of God imputing or counting his righteousness to us and he's crediting it to our to us so debt is very much the same thing that we are indebted to god and paying and having debts that we have run up so large that all we can do is ask for forgiveness that we because we have no hope of ever paying it back this is something we cannot pray i mean we cannot repay and so we are Acknowledging in this prayer that we are in utter dependence on God. If you think of like a bankruptcy court, as the court begins, before the particular case is heard, the bailiff cries, all debtors rise. And that's really what all of us, um, as we hear God's law being read, that's what's happening. When we stand and hear that and confess that, all debtors rise. We're in God's courtroom on Sunday, and we're recognizing how indebted we are. That if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So when we pray this prayer, we say, we don't say, teach us to forgive others so that we can also be forgiven. There's a really important order to this, as we mentioned. Um, the prayer knows that we would love to think of ourselves as really forgiving, loving people first. You know, we love to think that because that would mean we're in control of the situation. You know, like, I'm going to offer it first because that means I'm the one who's in control. But the prayer asks first for us to be forgiven before God. And as I said, it takes the control out of our hands. It means that we're first before anyone else. We're first at the mercy of God and that our lives are not our own. And to be out of control means many things, but for Christians, we have to recognize that our status is we're creatures. 
We don't create our lives. We're not the authors of our existence. Rather, in some sense, to lose control to God and let God be God means we have to recognize daily that we're part of God's story. That we are in what His world, He creates the rules, and trying to control things is very much fundamentally a contradiction to what it means to be a creature. When we try to control our stories, control our lives, control our relationships around us, we're at odds with ourselves, which is why it creates so much anxiety and why it imprisons us. And that's why it's a sin. That's what we call sin. And so prayer is this essential practice, this daily thing that we do. It's a gift that God gives sinners like us because God is saying, rediscover the joy of being a creature, a sinful creature before me, that you're not in control. And that's great. It's, it's so reassuring to not be in control and realize that we have been given so much grace that God refuses to abandon us. And to be truly human, it means learning to accept God's good gifts. It means learning to accept God's good gifts for us. Now that may sound like, just saying it like that, it may sound easy, but it's anything but that, as you know. Our whole sinful nature just wants to latch on to things and control. Um, If you have ever been given by a gift by someone and it hasn't been expected, it often feels very awkward. You're like, oh, I didn't get you anything. What What's going on? I don't know what to do. And if it's a gift in what you're receiving that you that maybe you realize that you really want and you don't want to like refuse, you'll often feel at a disadvantage. Like you are now in their debt. You know what I mean? Like now I need to go get them something, especially if it's not a close friend. Um, and this person who's given you this gift that you did not know what you wanted, but now you need, you immediately want to give something in return because we know that in our world that gift giving can seem like this game of power where we fear almost even being owing something that to that person who's just given us something. We, we, we almost fear it. Um, we don't want to be indebted to someone, do we? Like It's just like, we're like oh my goodness, now i got to go overpay that person for that gift they gave me because that's the game that of life. Um, and I think that that's like that's why it's so hard for us as Americans to even re- receive forgiveness from God, because we feel like, is it really a, a free gift? Isn't He just putting me in His debt? Like, it, it, that sounds way too good to be true. And so it, we fear God because He's offering this thing that we cannot give something in return for. That all God asks in return is that we actually enjoy Him and live as His creatures, as forgiven creatures. We aren't in control. 
we are acknowledging our dependency as we pray this. And that's, that's in many ways why when sinners hear that, that's why they crucified Jesus. Because they said, who is this who forgives sins? It would, have, it would have been better if he just went around healing people and not done anything else. Like They would have no problem with a, a, a charmer and a magician, someone who's actually healing people and being really nice. But when he started saying, oh, your sins are forgiven, everyone just like freaks out. Even today, like, who are you to say that I need to be forgiven? That's just exactly what happens when Jesus comes on, when God comes on the scene. But it's, it's almost in the nature of God to forgive. Not because our God is soft on sin, but God is so determined to be our God and to be for us and to have us as his family. He's so committed to us that the Psalms are just full of saying, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. If you, if you just like went through the Psalms and found how many times it says that, it's, it's kind of telling us that we need to hear that a lot. You know, like we don't believe it. Um, he will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Wow. It's just like, that's just everywhere. Jesus comes on the scene, he has compassion on this, this, these wayward children. We're over here bickering and arguing, wanting vengeance, and God is the most offended party. He's the most offended person. We've committed cosmic treason, and all he can do is have compassion. And we're just like, no, I have to exact my blood from my neighbor. You know, like a pound of flesh. They stole bread from me, let's chop off their hand. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just how we all are in our thinking. Like, oh, we gotta ratchet this up, baby. You know, like, we gotta, we gotta bring the heat. Um, but this petition shows, like, that's all a facade of us trying to be in control, acting like we have power. That's what all politics is right now. That's what all economics is. It's, it's just this big facade to think that we have power and we control our lives. That's all it is. But this prayer just like is this freeing thing. We're vulnerable, we're weak, we're empty-handed, and God has come in and he's reconciled with us before we even asked. Um, it's this liberating truth that our lives are not our own. And... That makes the world go crazy because it, it shows this whole world that vengeance and retribution and all these things that have marred human history are a result of our own sinfulness. It's not a result of what other people have done to us, but it's a result of our sinfulness before God. And we can do nothing to make it right. I think that's what progressive American, you know, liberal, conservative, whatever it is, 
we think we can just put our life in order if we have the right conditions, if we just have the right economic policy, if we have the right border policy, if we have the right, right war policy, if we're just you know, freely loving everyone, we think that we can use our means to make the world right. But that just ends up making everyone violent and want to have retributive justice. Where God is coming on the scene and he's saying, forgive, I'm forgiving you. Um, what an amazing, amazing thing that God is doing. Oh, man. And that leads to the second part, like as we forgive those who trespass against us, um, we can often read that and say, like, so does God not forgive me if I don't forgive others? Um, is that is there is there is that the condition? And I would say that that's not really getting at what it's saying. I think that one writer put it this way, George Herbert. He said that. The one person that can't forgive others is in many ways breaking the bridge over which he himself must pass if he would ever reach heaven because everyone has, to need, be, has need to be forgiven. In other words, our forgiveness begins as a response to being forgiven. Um, forgiving others is the fruit of being forgiven. Forgiving others shows that we have actually been forgiven in our hearts. It shows that God is working this new reality in our hearts when we have the capacity to forgive others. And when we don't do that, when we fail to forgive others, when we refuse, we're actually showing we have not received mercy. We haven't received God's forgiveness. It's the same it's the same faith that receives God's forgiveness and reconciliation that then turns in love to your neighbor and wants to forgive them. And it's an act of gratitude because we've been forgiven. It's not the cause of God's forgiving us, but it shows whether our hearts have actually received forgiveness from God. Um, and so in God forgiving us and having this kind of relationship in the world, God is actually slowly working out his kingdom into the world, his kingdom of forgiveness and grace, because he's saying your sins and the sins done against you don't have the last word. And he's moving everything in the world to bring that about. And his church, the church, is a glimpse of that. The church is a picture of that, which is why Matthew 18 makes it such a serious thing when we, when we fail to forgive each other and reconcile. Um, that's not how the, the, the kingdom of God seen in the church is to operate because it goes against the very gospel that we preach, that we hear. Um, in commanding us to forgive others, Jesus is saying is not saying that what we've suffered, as we said, is, is unimportant or inconsequential. Um, sins we commit and those committed against us do cause a lot of pain and evil. 
Rather, Jesus is refusing to let those things have the last word in our story, in our identity, in the world's story. Jesus is not producing a church just that are a bunch of doormats where everyone just gets to run over everybody, you know, and because, oh, we just turn the other cheek. You know, like that's, that's often how we can think of it. No, it's not this new set of victims who are being, you know, slapped on the right cheek. Now here's the left. So that everyone's just like constantly victimized. Um, rather, in commanding us to forgive, Jesus is inviting us to now, now that he has shown us forgiveness, now we actually can turn to the world and throw a monkey wrench in the way that the world operates according to retribution and vengeance. We, we don't have to silently suffer the hurt or just lick our wounds waiting when we will at last be able to, to return that blow that was dealt to us. We're actually being freed up for the first time to no longer just be victims in the world. But we're actor, actually more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We're victors because we have the power to forgive something. True power isn't exacting vengeance. True power is actually the, the capacity to not do something we have, the, we have the power to do. If you have the, the power to exact vengeance and, with, and then withhold that, it shows that you are actually in control of yourself, right? Um, if you have the power to not be addicted to a drug or alcohol, that actually is what freedom looks like. The person who's an addict has no control, right? The person who's addicted to something, they actually have no control and freedom. But Jesus frees us from our addiction to our vengeance so that we can now go out as those who are forgiven. And God is making us into heroic souls who have now the capacity to forgive others. I mentioned, mentioned a couple weeks ago, but being a Christian is really learning, because we're united to Christ, about having this absolving presence in the world. Just like we hear the law, all debtors rise, and then the pastor forgives us and absolves us of our sins, that is actually creating in us the capacity to go out and do that in the world. Because we're united to Christ, because we've been put into this kingdom, we no longer have the name vengeance over us. We're no longer baptized in vengeance. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're given the name Christian. And we can go out into the world united to Christ and now absolve others. Um, so we pray this prayer as the forgiven people of God who have been spectacularly forgiven and, and loved by Christ on the cross. Even though we've been ridiculously unforgiving and unloving when it comes to the wrongs that we've suffered. Um, God alone can command us, as he said to Peter, to forgive 70 times 7 because he has forgiven us 70 times 70 trillion. 
Like he's the only one who can make that command of us, really. We can't say that to each other. <laughs> That's only Jesus' prerogative. Um, but in doing this, Jesus is actually making us a part of the new creation. He's showing how we've been swept up into his kingdom, into his story, and that God is defeating the powers of evil. This is how it begins. God defeating the powers of evil in our lives that would otherwise dominate us. If you, if you think of if you, a moment in your life when you were enraged, when you just are just totally enraged, you're blind, aren't you? You're blind to everything except for that rage. And that's how we actually are controlled by the powers of this age. When, when our passions and our desires are at, so at war within us that we cannot even think And Jesus is coming in and he's breaking that hold over us just as we pray this prayer. Just by the very fact of praying this prayer, Jesus is slowly breaking that hold over us so we don't have to be controlled by that rage. And Jesus is slowly chipping that away and he's setting us up on this adventure called his kingdom because we've been freed, we've been released, the door has opened us up, has opened up and we have been forgiven something so spectacular and horrific, this cosmic thing that we've done against God. And that frees us up for all the lesser evils of this world. And so in praying this prayer, we are now, we are in many ways participating in what God is doing in this world. Um, if you think back, I keep bringing this up, but it's just helpful to think about it, but what discipleship is, we said that it's first receiving from God, it's testifying to what He has done, forgive us our trespasses, we're testifying to the forgiveness that He has offered, and then it's participating in what He's doing as we forgive those who trespass against us. So right in this thing is what discipleship is. It's receiving from God, his forgiveness, it's, particip- it's, it's testifying to the world what he's done and then participating in it. Um, I know I'm running out of time, but um, I think back to, just as a, as, a, as a way of closing out, if you remember from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I don't know if you've read that book by C.S. Lewis. I love that book. Um, there's that scene after Aslan is killed by the White Witch. And if you remember, the White Witch appeals to the, to the magic of the universe that if someone has committed treason, there needs to be blood. And Edmund betrayed his family, and so he has to suffer the penalty. But Aslan willingly goes, and he does that, to release Edmund from that, the witch's grasp. But then all of a sudden, when Susan and Lucy, they're watching this happen, they follow Aslan, and they see him killed on the stone table. And they're there, and they're crying after, afterwards, and they're taking off the ropes, and they're just crying. And then, and then dawn happens, and they hear this crack, and they turn around, and they see the table's crack, and Aslan's gone. Do you remember that scene? And... Then they, they hear Aslan's voice and they just are overcome with joy and they're just like, what happened? We saw you die. 
Aslan says this, this is a really an enigmatic kind of thing. He's like, you know, had the witch, the witch saw the magic of, of vengeance and retribution and how the world seems to operate. It's like a Game of Thrones kind of world. That's what she thinks. Where it's just pure nihilism, the will to power, and everything's about getting on top. But Aslan says, if she had looked a little further back at the deeper magic, she would have seen what was written there, that if someone willingly sacrifices his life for someone else, that that evil would have been undone, and time itself would have gone backwards. And what he's saying there is that forgiveness and love are the, are the deeper fabric of, of, of reality than anything, than violence or retribution can ever be. It takes the eyes of faith to see that. But that's what God is actually saying by giving us His Spirit, by praying this prayer. Like you are involved in a cosmic reality and warfare that's deeper and more glorious, that's, that's more powerful than anything this world can muster when you forgive someone. Isn't that a mar- remarkable? You're, you have the Spirit of God and Christ in your hearts. And the resurrection power is yours. And so when you forgive someone, that's why Paul says that you can redeem the time because the days are evil. You can literally buy it back and give grace to your hearers because you have been forgiven by Christ. That's the power that is now at work. You have a cosmic power at work as you forgive those around you. And most people in this world, they think they know something because they, they have the perspective of the witch. That retribution and violence is really what everything's about. But Jesus is saying, no, the deeper magic, the deeper way of the universe that was there from eternity that God spoke is this steadfast love, abounding in mercy and compassion. And that is something that will never, ever be destroyed, that God will never let be overcome by the sin that's done against you. Any, I, I totally just, I'll have to get to the next point next week. I just went off on it. But <laughs> any, any questions or thoughts, anything that struck you before we close in prayer? I know that was a lot, but I just like such a powerful section. Well, let's close in a word of prayer then. We can go mingle and have some coffee. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and, and, and how freeing it is to pray this prayer that you would send your Son to die for us. What an amazing, marvelous thing. Now you've actually empowered us and freed us from our small stories of vengeance so that we can actually live in the thing that you're doing in this universe, the new thing, this new creation, this new kingdom. So we pray for your power and your strength to first remember how much we've been forgiven, 
so that we can remember the offense differently. Let you be the one who exacts vengeance. And that we can just freely forgive others. Um, and have compassion on them like you've had compassion on us. And we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.